Well, good evening. Thank you, Brother Ryan. What a blessing that was. Aren't you glad for Jesus? What a blessing. Take your Bibles with me tonight. We're going to be in the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible, Exodus, and chapter number 32 this evening for a few moments. Exodus and chapter number 32. Thank you, Pastor, for the privilege to stand behind this pulpit tonight. It sure is a, sure is a privilege to be able to preach here at Crossroads Baptist Church. And again, we're just so thankful for each and every one of you for, for your prayers, for your love for us, and your support of us as we trailer on down the road. And uh, it's, it's, it's an exciting life, that's for sure. Never a dull moment. And I uh, had a wonderful time preaching uh, in, in Georgia this morning and it's amazing to be able to, to just go all over the place and see God at work and see uh, people that love the Lord just faithfully serving Him. And uh, all hope is not lost. Uh, I, I believe that God wants to do something great. I don't believe that we should just give up on the ship and just let it go down. You know, oh, America's done for. I think we ought to be praying and seeking His face and turning from our wicked ways and asking Him to heal our land. I sure believe that. Exodus chapter 32, I want us to read the first couple verses here, maybe the first seven verses or so of this passage, and uh, the, Lord, the good Lord willing, we'll briefly look at some, some truths here from Exodus 32 tonight. The Bible says in Exodus 32 and verse number one, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron, said unto him, up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people brake off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt." And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down. For thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. Let's pause tonight. We'll ask the Lord to help us as we look into his word. Lord, we love you tonight. We thank you that you are our Savior. We thank you that you are our Lord. We thank you that you are our everything. Lord, by you all things consist. And Lord, as we look into your word for a few moments tonight, Lord, I pray that you would hide me behind your cross. Lord, I pray that nothing would come out of my mouth but what you have for us tonight. Lord, that you'd speak to each and every one of our hearts. And that, Lord, your people would not resist you tonight, Lord, but we would say yes to you in whatever area, Lord, wherever you challenge us tonight. Lord, we'll be careful to give you all the praise and the glory, for only you are worthy of all these things. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. You know, as a, as, as a, as a child, as a young person, I would read the Bible, I would hear stories of the Bible, and it seemed, especially in the Old Testament, that often, over and over it seemed in the Word of God, that idolatry is mentioned. It talks over and over about how God's people would, would often turn away from the living God, would turn away from the God of their salvation, and they would turn to idols. And I never understood that. I would look at that and say, that, that, that just doesn't make any sense. Why would you reject God? Why would you turn away from the living God and worship an idol? 
You know, that's really not something that I see, you know, as, as, as I thought as I look around, you know. We don't have a little shrine in our basement or anything like that, that that's set up to some kind of a false god or a false idol. You know, that's, maybe that's just something that's not very much applicable to us today. But let me tell you something tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Idolatry is still very much alive and well in many Baptist churches, in many good homes. In the lives of many who would call themselves Christians, idolatry is still very much alive and well. You say, Brother Drew, I, I don't have any idols in my basement. I, I don't have any, any, any little figurines that I bow down to at certain times during the day. I don't have a struggle with that. That's maybe something you see in some other part of the world. But I want to tell you that it still happens here in America today. When I was up in Pennsylvania, we, we had the opportunity to, 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 to go out and, and, and share the gospel with the community. And there were a number of folks that were Hindus. I remember one particular time we went to a house and they were celebrating one of their Hindu festivals. And there in the basement of their house, they showed us this shrine that they had set up to this false god. And they had plates of food set out before the false god. And they had it all decorated all very, very nicely. And they were going to invite all their, their friends and family in the neighborhood to come and worship this false god together. It was still very much alive and well in a Hindu's life. You think even, and I have, I have family members myself who, who are Catholics. And I'm not trying to make fun of anybody or pick on anybody tonight. But you walk into a Catholic church... And uh, you just look around for a little while, and let me tell you something, idolatry is still very much alive and well. But I want you to notice tonight that it's not just everybody else that has a problem, but sometimes it's me standing in the need of prayer. And an, idol, and an idol doesn't have to be something that's carved out of stone or carved out of wood. An idol is simply something that takes the place of Jesus Christ as number one in the heart and the life of a Christian. Idolatry is extreme admiration, love, or reverence for something or someone. And I like to define it this way. An idol is any person or thing in your life that consumes more of your time, reverence, and energy than God Almighty. I want to say that again. An idol can be defined as any person or thing in your life that consumes more of your time, more of your reverence, or more of your energy than God Almighty. And you don't have to look very far in the Word of God to see that idolatry, it never leads to anything good. And so tonight I want us to look at a message I've entitled, 21st Century Idols. 21st Century Idols. We see, number one tonight, the conditions of idolatry. The conditions of idolatry. In verse number one, the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mount. He delayed. I like to think perhaps one of the conditions of their idolatry, one of the, the things that made it so easy perhaps for them to, to turn away from the God who, may I add, ha had done some amazing things for them. Right. And this was, this was the same God, Jehovah God, that had just freed them from the bondage that they had been living under in the, under the Egyptians. From the, the hard labor under the taskmasters there in Egypt, God had freed them. God had sent ten plagues that got worse and worse as they went along, that vexed and afflicted the children, or afflicted the people there in Egypt, but yet the, God's people in Goshen were untouched. They had seen God do many miraculous things and break down the false gods of the Egyptians, I might say, one by one as he sent those plagues. They had seen God do that. 
They had seen God send them out with a high hand, the Bible says. I mean, they didn't just go out in poverty. They didn't just go out with just the clothes on their backs. No, the Egyptians were giving them stuff. Hey, take our gold, take our silver, take our stuff. Just get out of here. God sent them out rich. He saved them from the world and he gave them some riches. (laughs) Sound familiar? They, They were there at the Red Sea. When in front of them stood not just a little trickling stream but a large body of water. On one side of them stood great mountain ranges. There was no way they were going to escape that way. And as they turned around and looked behind them, here come the Egyptians. Old Pharaoh had woken up and realized, you know what, my my pyramids aren't getting any taller. I don't don't know if that's what he said, but my pyramids aren't getting any taller. Wait a minute, it's because we let all of the laborers go. Go back and get them. And they watched God first protect them by bringing that pillar and boom, putting it right between them and the Egyptians. And then as Moses stood and raised his rod over that Red Sea, it parts. And they go across, not on mushy ground. (laughs) They go across on dry land. Then God removes that barrier between them and the Egyptians. And here comes Pharaoh's army. Oh, the the Israelites made it through. I mean, we got to go after them. And they watched God bring down those mighty walls of water upon their enemies. You see that, you think, man, I'd never, I'd never worship anybody else ever again. I'd never turn away from God ever again. But before we're too hard on the, on the Israelites, perhaps we ought to look in the mirror tonight. And realize that we're a blessed people. And realize that, that God has done great things for us whereof we are glad. I mean, if you're saved here tonight, what do we have to, what do we have to complain about, really? What do we have to complain about when we, we're assured a home in heaven? What do we have to complain about when we have the Holy Spirit living within us and he will never leave us nor forsake us? What do we have to complain about when we know the the one that owns the cattle on a thousand hills and he owns the gold under the hills and he owns the hills and he owns it all and he says, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. What do we have to complain about? This is the God who Israel was so quick to turn their back on. One of the reasons I believe is because of some unmet expectations. Moses went up into that mountain And we were expecting him to come down in a certain length of time. I don't know what that time was. But all I know is Moses delayed. He was up there longer than they thought he should be. I mean, it was pretty scary. I'll give that to you. I mean, there's thunder, there's lightning, there's a big cloud there on the top of the mountain. We haven't seen Moses for days and days. And another day goes by and we don't see Moses. What is going on here? I think we need an idol. I think we need to turn away from following Jehovah. We need, we need something else. We need something else to fill this hole. We need something else to fill this time. Perhaps it was some unmet expectations. And Christian, beware. Beware when things don't turn out the way that you thought they should. Because often the devil will come sneaking in and say, Shh, I told you. I told you God wasn't to be trusted. I told you he wasn't really good. Let, let me give you a little something that you can worship instead. Hey, let me give you a little something that they can, they can take his place. That, that, you know, you're a little stressed. Uh, you're, you're stressed. I mean, it's, you've, you've had a tough, you've been wandering around in the wilderness. You, you need a little idolatry. It'll be all right. 
We see perhaps some unmet expectations, but we see perhaps, you know, they were bored. They're just sitting down there at the, at the bottom of the, of the mountain and there's not much going on. You, you heard the old statement, you know, idle hands are the devil's, the devil's plaything, right? We need to beware when things aren't turning out the way that we thought, when perhaps God isn't working the way that we thought he should, when perhaps our expectations aren't being met, that we don't be tempted to turn away from the good God who has done everything for us. Number two, though, tonight, as we continue moving along, I want us to notice the cost of idolatry. The cost of idolatry. Because idolatry is going to cost you something. Deciding to say, you know what, and perhaps we don't even do this consciously, but we allow something else to worm its way into our lives and worm its way into our hearts and replace God as the rightful place that he is, and that is number one, not sharing his place with anybody else. We allow something else to worm its way onto the throne of our hearts. There's going to be a cost that we'll have to pay. Look at what the Bible says in verse 2 and 3. We read it already, but the Bible says, Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which were in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them unto me. And the people break off the golden earrings that were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. Uh, we don't see anywhere between verse 2 and 3 where the people had to stop and think about this for a minute. You know... <laughs> We just got this nice stuff from the Egyptians. Do we really want to just give, get rid of all of our nice stuff right now? I mean, some of this stuff, perhaps it wasn't all from the Egyptians. You know, this is grandma's family heirloom right here. I mean, do we, we really want to melt this down just to have a false god? We don't see anywhere where they're thinking, you know, maybe we shouldn't do this. No, this is what happens. Aaron says, bring me your gold. And they say, okay, here you go. You can have it. In fact, I got some more back at the tent. Let me get it for you. And they were willing to pay. They were willing to pay to have this idol in their life. I think of the prophet Jonah. The Bible tells us that he decides, you know what, I don't want to do what God told me to do. In fact, I'm going to run the opposite direction. The Bible tells us that he got on a boat and he paid the fare thereof. I don't think he was very concerned about what the fare was. Can I afford that? Do I? No, no, he was like, oh, I, I got to get out. I'm running from God. Here, uh, how much is it? I'll just take everything I have. I got to get out of here. And it's amazing what you'll be willing to pay if you decide to let something else be your number one other than Jesus Christ. Back a couple, uh, a couple seasons ago, in the NFL, I hate to use NFL illustrations, but we're going to use an NFL illustration here tonight. One of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game of football, is his name is Tom Brady. You know, somebody can debate me on that afterwards. But anyway, he, he is one, he's, he, I mean, he's been doing it. He, he, he started when he was in his 20s, and he's, he's still playing football today. Spoiler alert. But anyway, at this time in his career, he had won seven Super Bowls. I mean, that's a lot of Super Bowls right there. He had won all these accolades. He's in his 40s now. And he decides, you know what? I think I'm going to retire. I'm going to hang up the cleats. I'm going to call it a career. I'm in my 40s now. I think I'm going to retire. All of a sudden, the last touchdown throw that he threw, that football, became very valuable. Now, at the time that that football was thrown, no, nobody knew that that was going to be the last touchdown that Tom Brady would ever throw. And so he throws that football to his receiver. The receiver catches the ball, runs to the end zone, yeah, and takes the ball and throws it up into the stands. And a very fortunate fan caught that football. Ooh. 
And then this story breaks a little while later that Tom Brady is retiring. And this fan says, oh, that football, man, I hit the jackpot. And he decides to do the only logical thing and put it up for auction to see how much money he could get for it. And so he puts it up for auction. And the bidding gets intense. And you know what the final bid price was on that football? It was $518,000. Half a million dollars. Some person, I don't know, I, didn't know what, I don't know what his name was, but, but some super fan decided, you know what? Half a million dollars for a football? That's a bargain. I'm going to spend that, and I'm going to get that football, and it's going to be mine, and I'm going to put it up on this little shelf over here, and I'm going to look at it. That's a good investment right there, buddy. But if you know the story, 40 days later, after Tom Brady makes this announcement, I am retiring. You know, perhaps he had to do some chores at home, and he decided, you know what, this is, this is just ain't it right here. And so he said, you know what, I unretire. I'm going to play some more. I can't take this anymore. I, I don't know if that's what he said. I'm sorry. Anyway, he decides to unretire. All of a sudden, this ball is not going to be the last touchdown that Tom Brady ever threw. And this, uh, the, the, the man who, who purchased the football, you know, if you have half a million dollars to buy a football, you know, you got some good lawyers, you know, <laughs> on retainer. So he got his lawyers and, and they get, oh, you know, the, the ball is no longer as originally advertised because, uh, and they, you know, they, they reverse the wholesale. And this man doesn't have to pay. But the point is he was willing to pay half a million dollars for, I, I don't know how much it costs to make a football, 10 bucks? For a football. And here's the point I want to make tonight. When we decide that we're going to go after other gods, oh, we don't say it like that, of course, but we decide, you know what, there's something else that, that, that I'd rather pursue more than Jesus and more than my relationship with him. When we decide to let something else worm its way in there, you know what we're essentially saying? Oh, I mean, God's protection is nice. I mean, he's, he sure saved my skin a time or two, but ah, I think I'd rather have an idol. You can have that. God's provision, I mean, whew, God's provision sure is nice. Wouldn't you agree with that? I mean, whew, by my gosh, I'll supply all, the, all your need. Man, that's, that's, that's a good promise right there, but I think I'd rather have an idol. What are we willing to pay? And you'll be amazed at what you are willing to pay once God is no longer number one, once Jesus is no longer number one on the throne of your heart. The cost of idolatry. Number three, though, we see the corruption of idolatry, and I'll just touch on this quickly, but I want you to notice that idolatry is never innocent. It's never harmless. It's never, oh, I'm just going to have my little idol on the side, and it's all going to work out just fine. It's, it never works out like that. No, it corrupts. But not only does it corrupt, but it deceives while it corrupts. Look at what happens here to, 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 to these Israelites. In verse number four, Aaron, he makes this molten calf. And in verse number five, the Bible says, when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital, capital D. That's Jehovah. So now we have this molten calf, but yet we're going to have a feast to the Lord. 
Look at verse 6. They rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. I'm telling you, this was real religious. I mean, it, just, it was looking real good. Oh, yes, oh, yeah. we're going to have a, uh, have a feast to the Lord. Yes, yes, and we're going to bring our burnt offerings to the Lord. Yes, yes, oh, I'm telling you, oh, we're, we're, really, we're really pleasing the Lord. Can I just say this? Just because it says the name Jesus on it doesn't mean it's of Jesus. Just because they say, oh, we're, we're worshiping the Lord over here doesn't necessarily mean that they're worshiping the Lord over there. Oh, but Brother Drew, they got a thousand people over there worshiping the Lord. It doesn't mean that they're worshiping the same Lord that you're supposed to be worshiping. You can't worship God and, and, and do it with some world you know, mixed on in there. It just doesn't work. <laughs> I want you to notice that their morals changed. They, they rose up early in the morning. They offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. The people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. All of a sudden, this feast to the Lord becomes a gluttonous, indulgent, immoral party. This wasn't just a potluck in church volleyball, okay? <laughs> this was wickedness that was taking place right here. How do we know that it's wickedness? Because that's what the Bible says. And in verse number 25, the Bible says, Moses saw that the people were naked, and for Aaron made them naked unto their shame among their enemies. I'm telling you, it was wickedness that was taking place here in the camp of the Israelites. Wickedness. That quickly. Idolatry comes in, and corruption always is not very far behind. Their morals changed. But I want you to notice that their music changed. And I'm not going to preach on music tonight, but just, but just notice this. Verse number 17, Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, and he said unto Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. And Moses, in verse 18, he said, it is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing do I hear. I mean, their music changed real fast. And there's a difference between God's music and the devil's music. <laughs> okay? and God's music, it uplifts and it encourages and it points people to him. The devil's music is loud and angry and confusing. And here's the, here's, here's the thing. It, it gets people to, 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 to indulge their flesh. It points people to themselves. Oh, this makes me feel good. And that became the doctrine of this party right here. Oh, if it feels good... It must be worship. That's not worship. In fact, <laughs> the world tells you, oh, just, just, just follow your heart. Follow your heart. Oh, it won't lead you astray. Young people, follow your heart. It'll lead you to Prince Charming, to Princess Charmina. Just follow your heart. The Bible says that your heart is desperately wicked and deceitful of all things. Who can know it? <laughs> Don't follow your heart. Follow God's word. But we see the corruption of idolatry. It just started messing everything up. Just as quickly as they started. You see, number four, though, the consequences of idolatry. <laughs> you can pick your sin. But you can't choose the consequences. I want you to see the first consequence I see here in this passage. And we're kind of skipping around a little bit for sake of time. But verse number 26, 
The Bible says that Moses stood in the gate of the camp. Moses comes down and, and, you know, he's grieved with what's going on. He stands at the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. And the implied there is that everybody else didn't. The devil wants to seek. He seeks to devour. He seeks to destroy. But he realizes that often before he can destroy, he's got to divide first. If he wants to take down Crossroads Baptist Church, he says, you know what? The best way to do that is I got to get them divided. I got to get them at each other's throats. I got to get them believing lies about each other. I got to get them fighting about nonsense. I got to get them focused on a bunch of stuff that doesn't matter and get them all divided. But the Bible tells us in Psalm 133 and verse 1, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. But that doesn't just happen overnight. It doesn't just happen by accident. Ephesians 4 and verse 3 tells us we must endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It's God's will for us to be unified. You say, how can we be unified, Brother Drew? We're all from different backgrounds. We all have different personalities. We all have different upbringings. We all have different opinions about things. You know what can take a bunch of people from all sorts of backgrounds? with all sorts of opinions, and bring them together? Somebody that they're all following together. If we're all following after our own idols, division's going to happen. But if we're following after Jesus with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength, unity is what happens. Idolatry tears apart relationships. And fractured relationships, relationships happen when God is removed from the throne and self takes its place. And I wonder how many relationships might be mended. I wonder if there might be some churches even that would be mended if we would simply cast down our idols. We would, we would agree with God about them that they're wicked and cast them down. We see division, but we also see disease in verse number 35. The Lord plagued the people... Because of the calf that Aaron had made. Now I want to be very clear tonight that not every disease and every infirmity that we suffer here on this earth is a direct result of our sin and God's judgment upon us. That's just not the case. In fact, the fact is we live in a sin-cursed earth and it's just, it just comes with the territory and it just makes heaven just a little more sweeter when there will be no more tears and there will be no more pain and suffering and there will be no more bad backs and achy knees and, and creaky joints. I'm telling you, all will be perfect over there in heaven when we, when we have our new body. Praise the Lord for that. But I, I am saying tonight that sometimes God has to turn up the heat to get our attention. Sometimes God's got to lay somebody flat on a hospital bed where the only direction they can look is up to him to get their attention. Sometimes God's got to put somebody in the four walls of a prison cell where they have nothing to do but to read their Bible and talk to God to get their attention. And I plead with you tonight, let's just heed God before he has to get our attention. It's a lot easier to learn, by, to, to learn by example than it is to learn by experience. But we see that, that the Lord plagued the people. And I tread lightly here, but I wonder if perhaps some of the mental health crisis that's fast exploding in this country may be perhaps because people are trying to put anything and everything they can to fill that hole in their heart. Anything and everything they're trying to turn to except for Jesus to find the answers to questions that they have about life. 
God, God's word has the only answers. That's right. But we see, oh, I'll share this verse. I love this verse. Isaiah 26 and verse 3. That will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee because he trusteth in thee. That's the answer. We see number three, though, as we, as we consider the consequences of idolatry, we see death. Verse number 27, Moses says to them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, says to the children of Levi uh, there, Put every man's sword by his side and go in and out from the gate to gate throughout the camp and slay every man his brother and every man his companion and every man his neighbor. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses and their fellow of the people that day, about 3,000 men. Idolatry is no trivial matter. It's not something that we can just brush off. It has eternal significance. It's, it's life and death, if I can put it that way. And I find alarmingly in the Word of God how often false gods are associated with death and how often they're associated not only with death but with children. pastor's been preaching some in the book of Ruth, the, the God of the Moabites, Chemosh. Just, just wicked the, the, the way that the Moabites would, would, would worship this God, how they would stoke a fire in the back of the, the metal statue there of Chemosh with the arms outstretched, and they would get that statue red hot, and then they would take their babies. They would place their, their babies on the burning arms of this God, Chemosh, and sacrifice their children. And we look at that and we say, that's unthinkable. That's wicked. That is vile. That is disgusting. How could anybody in their right mind ever do that? But what I'm here to tell you tonight, ladies and gentlemen, and I say this from a place of humility. I say this as a place of one that fails on a regular basis. But I say this to you, that if we do not have God first place in our lives, if we do not have him on the throne where he rightfully deserves, perhaps we are no better. Because I tell you, you can say one thing, but if your life acts a completely different way, there are little eyes looking up to you, and they see those inconsistencies. They see you saying, oh, I love God, but really your life says you love something else more than God. <laughs> and few things will drive a child away from God than seeing the authorities and seeing the ones in his life that he thought should be an example of loving God, loving something else more than God. I'm telling you, I go in some churches and there's a whole generation missing. A whole generation just gone. And I wonder if it's because of our, of our idolatry. Again, this is no laughing matter. Satan knows the younger I can get him, the more I can mess him up. And it's up to us to not only say that we love God, but to act like it. And to let the whole world know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. <laughs> I'm going to let my light so shine before men. I, I'm not going to be ashamed. I'm not going to be a, an undercover Christian. Trying to blend in. Trying not to get noticed. Driving my unmarked car and, 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 and keeping, the, <laughs> keeping the, you know, my, my love for Jesus on the down low. No, it ought, it ought to be shouted from the rooftops. Amen. That he's my king. And before anything else, I love and I serve him. But I want to leave you with some hope tonight. Number five, the conquering of idolatry. The conquering of idolatry. It can be conquered. In a world where we look around and it seems that, if you think about it, idolatry is, is more rampant than it's ever been. People are looking for anything to worship. They're looking for anything to give their energy to, anything to give their, their devotion to, anything to give their, their love to that might just give them a shred of happiness. 
But only Jesus has joy unspeakable, full of glory. But how do we conquer idolatry? How do we, how do we get these things out of our lives? I want to give you four steps to conquering idolatry. Number one, realize that you have created an idol. You're not going to get any help until you're willing to be honest. You're willing to be humble. You're willing to, to be still and to say, as David did, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Look at what Moses said about the idolatry of the children of Israel in verse number 30. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, Ye have sinned a great sin. Moses didn't say, Ye have you know, made a couple little mistakes here and there, but it's okay. Ye have maybe made some bad choices and had some misplaced priorities. <laughs> Moses called it what God called it, a great sin. And we must realize that I have an idol in my life. I've created an idol in my life. There's something that is more dear to me than my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it is a great sin before we can have victory over it. I want to give you a few questions tonight. Just practical things as we try to figure this thing out, as we try to maybe self-examine for a moment or two tonight. What's the first thing that you turn to in the morning? Now, I'm blind as a bat. I have to wear contact lenses to, to drive. I have to re- wear contact lenses to, to, to be able to recognize my wife, to be able to see the pages of my Bible, okay? <laughs> I, I am very blind. And so before I can even see my Bible, i got to put my contact lenses in, okay? I realize there's some things like that in the morning that we have to take care of. But where are you going in the morning? Can I be honest with you? A little transparent with you tonight? Sometimes... This is where, uh, uh, all right, let's see, we got some notifications. What do, uh, I'm telling you, idols nowadays, it's not just a big old shrine that you can't pick up and take with you. No, we have pocket idols. Hey, pull it out whenever you need it. You can worship on the go <laughs> with the new iPhone 14. <laughs> that should have me make commercials, man. That'd be a good one right there. Sell a lot of phones that way. Where do you turn when you're feeling stressed? When the pressures of life are getting to you? Where do you go? What do you turn to? Where do you turn? That's probably a good indication of what your idol might be. Or what's on the throne of your heart, I might say. Because, again, we, we, got the, we got the instruction manual for life right here. Right. We, there's nowhere else we should be turning. How do you spend your downtime? Now listen, you, we need downtime, okay? We, <laughs> I, 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 I'll, I'll go on record and say, listen, I, I, need, I need some downtime sometimes. I need some time out of the truck and trailer, hallelujah. But sometimes what we're doing is we're filling our downtime with more stress, with more activity. I mean, <laughs> you don't see people just sitting around anymore. It's, I mean, it's this minute we sit down, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm picking on phones tonight, but... It's an idol, okay? Oh, you go to a restaurant, you know, you got two people sitting there on a date or whatever they're doing, and they're both looking at their phones. So you're sounding old, Brother Drew. Maybe I am getting old. I, I, I don't know. I'm just saying, it's, it's, it's an epidemic. 
If we, we do have a second of quiet, we, we start stressing out. It, it was too quiet. I got I to gotta listen to something. I got to watch something. I got to read something. I got to do something. We've lost the, the, the wonderful ability, Pastor, to be still and know that he is God. All right, I got to keep going. What gets you most excited? What fires you up? That's a good indication of what's most important to you. What are a lot of your conversations center around? What are, the, what are a lot of the top, your favorite topics of conversation? That'll tell you what's really important to you. And again, these aren't hard and fast things, but they can help us determine, okay, if none of the answers to these questions was Jesus and his word, maybe there's a problem here. Number one, realize you've created an idol. Number two tonight, we must refuse to make excuses. Refuse to make excuses. Look with me, if you would, at at verse number 21. (laughs) Every time I read this passage, it makes me chuckle a little bit. Because Aaron was in full justification mode over here. He was in full cover-up mode, full, okay, we we got a damage control mode right here. Okay, look at this. Verse number 21, Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? They hold a gun to your head? They twist your arm? Aaron, what did these people do to you to make you think this was a good idea? And look at what Aaron says. And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Moses, why why are you getting so riled up? Why are you getting so angry, Moses? Calm down. Don't get so upset about this. Can I say it another way? Moses, it's really not that big of a deal. We're not going to get help if we we buy into that excuse right there. it's, It's okay. It's not that big of a deal. Look what else he says. Let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. (laughs) Thou knowest the people. (laughs) They're set on mischief. Moses, you've led these people. You know what they're like. I mean, come on, Moses. You know the people. Can I put it another way? It's it's just the way things are, Moses. I mean, all, all the people wanted it. They're all okay with this idol, Moses. Who am I to say no to the people? I mean, you know who the how they are, Moses. You know they're set on mischief. We can be tempted. Well, so and so, you know, they, they 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 do that, and so and so, I know, you know, they they're fine with that, and so and so, you know, oh, they're, they're a preacher and they do that. <laughs> Again, it's time for us to turn our eyes inward. Stop looking at everybody else and say, Lord, is it me? And he's to get right with you and refuse to make these excuses. And then I love this third excuse that he makes. <laughs> Verse number 22. For they said unto me, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we want not what has become of him. And I said unto them, whosoever hath any gold, let him break it off. So they gave it to me. Then I cast it into the fire. And poof, there came out this calf. Oh, the poof's in the Hebrew, okay? It's, it's, it's in there, okay? There came out this calf. I mean, Moses, it almost hit me. I threw the gold in there and, I mean, how comes this calf? You should have seen it. Put another way, it just happened, Moses. I, I can't control it. I can't help it. We're not going to get help until we refuse to make excuses. 
until we're willing to take it personally and say, you know what? And the world loves to do it. Oh, you know, it's, it's, it's okay. It's just, it's your upbringing. That's, that's, what, that's why you struggle. That's what made you do it. And I'm not discounting that. I'm not discounting those things completely. But what I am saying to you is that you are responsible for your actions. You are responsible for your idols. You can't blame anybody else. You can't lean on anybody else. When you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, you're not going to be able to point the finger at anybody else. It's going to be you standing there giving account for your actions and me giving account for my actions. We must take it personal. Refuse to make excuses. Number three, we must reject their control. We must realize, you know what? I'm not in control of my idol. My idol is in control of me. Ephesians tells us, be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And you can put whatever you want in that blank. Be not, be not addicted to your smartphone where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Be, be not so much about your career that you neglect your family, but be filled with the Spirit. Whatever is controlling us instead of God Almighty is an idol, and it must be rejected. It must be rejected. Good things can be idols. They don't necessarily always have to be sinful, but when we get them out of proportion is when we can run into problems. Jesus must be first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We must seek him first. Finally, number four, remove them completely. Look at verse number 20 as we come to a close. And Moses, and talking about Moses here, and he took the calf which they had made and burnt it in the fire. Problem solved. But he wasn't done yet. And ground it into powder. Wow, I mean, you really overkill here, Moses. But he wasn't done yet. (laughs) And strotted upon the water and made the children of Israel drink of it. Moses was in essence saying, listen, it might have poofed out of a a furnace or something, Aaron, but it's not going to poof anywhere else. We're destroying this idol for good. I don't want any trace of it left. And sometimes we run into problems because we realize we have an idol. We say, you know what, this is a problem and I need to reject the control of this thing in my life. But you know, I think I'm just going to, I'm going to move it up to the attic and we'll keep it up there for a rainy day just in case we might need to pull that thing out at a later date. Just in case maybe God doesn't come through. In case Jesus, maybe he fails someday down the road. I guess we don't say this out loud, but this is, this is our mindset. This is our heart. When we don't remove our idols completely, we're leaving the temptation to go back to them if we leave them intact. And Moses, the Bible says, destroys them completely. Destroys this, this calf completely. It's about time that we as Christians became radical about destroying our idols. We don't need a backup God unless Jesus doesn't work out, in case Jesus doesn't work out, because he never fails. We don't need to to turn to anything else because he is sufficient. He is enough. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 4, the Bible says, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. There's some things in the Bible that we're supposed to run away from, (laughs) and idolatry is one of those things. Flee. I close with this illustration. I have many wonderful traits. That was probably not the best way to open that illustration, Pastor. I'm sorry. <laughs> I have many terrible traits as well. Let me tell you about one of my terrible traits, okay? I have very bad allergies. They used to be a lot worse. They've gotten a lot better. But 
I am still very much allergic to dogs and even more allergic to cats. I know I know some of you, you got your little fur babies, your little bundles of joy and fluffy cuddles. And uh, I'm sorry, but we just can't be best friends. It's just, it's <laughs> because you know, when, I, when I get around your little bundle of joy, it gives me bundles of, of you know, reactions. How about that? How about a, that's a nice word for it right there. It's, it's, it's a problem. It's, it's, it's a struggle. I also happen to live a good portion of the year now in a 30-foot fifth-wheel travel trailer with my lovely wife and our three small children. I can't imagine what's going to happen when they get bigger. I mean, it, it already is pretty cramped in there. There's nowhere to go. I mean, there, there's no escape. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Now imagine with me, if you would, that I go to the pound or wherever you get fluffy bundles of joy. See, I'm, I'm, I'm being good. Well, I, I went to this church. I gave this illustration. I, just, I was just blasting dogs left and right. And, and I, think it, I don't think I'm going back to that church. So I'm, I'm, I'm being careful. Fluffy bundles of joy. What if I went and got just the biggest, fluffiest dog I could find and put it in my trailer? said, this dog's going to live with us now. This is great. This is going to be wonderful. I'm telling you, every time I stood up to preach, take your Bibles, <laughs> and uh, turn, it'd be a disaster. You'd look at me, you'd say, Brother Drew, why in the world would you get a big fluffy dog and put it in your trailer when all it's going to do is cause you pain and suffering and misery day after day? Well, why in the world would we as Christians let an idol into our life that day after day is just going to drain the spiritual life right out of us? That's going to take the place of the God that, that did everything for us? That's going to just, just choke away our, our love for souls and our compassion for the lost? That's going to make reading our Bible become a chore because I'm telling you, there's just nothing like trying to read your Bible when you're not right with God. It's just, it's just miserable. It just, it doesn't work out too well. We're even starting coming to the house of the Lord. It's just, oh, I'm just going to get convicted again. I, uh, why would we let that stay in our lives when there's help from the Word of God? And where Jesus says in one of my favorite verses, 1 John 1 and verse number 9, not just a verse for the lost, but a verse for, for God's people each and every day. If we confess our sins, and that's what idolatry is, it's sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And that would have been a good verse if he had just cut it off right there. But it gets better. <laughs> He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We don't have to live under the bondage of the old world and its idols anymore. And sometimes as Christians, we can go put those chains back on. But instead, why don't we, why don't we confess those idols? Why don't we grind them to powder? And why don't we put Jesus back on the throne? If you want to have a good 2023, it's not going to happen if you're worshiping something else and chasing after something else and loving something else more than your Savior. It's only going to be possible when Jesus has his proper place. 
as Lord of all. Lord, we love you tonight. We thank you so much for your word. Oh, Lord, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. It's so easy for us to get distracted. Sometimes by, by good things, Lord, but we get things out of whack and we start, we start loving things more than you. Lord, we start putting things as our number one priority over you. I pray, Lord, if there's a, a Christian tonight that's, that needs to get honest, needs to get humble before their God tonight, Lord, that you would help us to be, to, 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 to be humble enough to admit our need and to come to the one that promises to forgive and restore. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray.